You are now listening to a Fit Plus Love production. So I stepped away from the world tour in 2000, at the end of 15. And gravel, you wouldn't even say gravel in 2016. Right. I stepped into the realm of ambassador. I mean, that's that's the best word then. And quite frankly, still the best word today for what I do. And Cannondale was that first contract and this privateer program that that allowed me the ability to say, hey, this is what I'm doing. And that brought in enough other sponsors that it's been a, a, a cool ride since then. It was doing events that were popping up uh, that happened to be on gravel terrain. <laughs> I think a huge portion of it is just the technology, which is to say wide tires, tubeless tires, disc brakes, big gearing that made it so much more conducive. That was Ted King. Gravel's been exceptional in how it has really brought community together in terms of like, it doesn't matter what your skill set is, it doesn't matter your age, it doesn't matter how you dress, everybody's there to experience the same course together and then however they might experience it, everybody gets to, you know, enjoy a party afterwards and drink a beer and relish in whatever the stories were of the day and that that's just been something that's you know it's a it's a sport that you can continue for many many years to come that was laura kane this is marnie salop thanks for tuning into my podcast marnie on the move each week i will be inviting interesting innovative movers and shakers to join me on the show and share their story. You will discover and hear from thought leaders, experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs from the worlds of wellness, sports, beauty, fitness, fashion, and more. Marnie on the Move will feature an eclectic mix of people I know, work with, and think are generally doing cool things. On each episode, I sync up with my guests about life, career, and training, and showcase their expertise and story. Hello, welcome, and welcome back to the Marnie on the Move podcast. I'm your host, Marnie Salop. Today on the podcast, I'm syncing up with power couple, cycling and triathlon pro legends, pioneers, and Cannondale ambassadors, Ted and Laura King. Ted began his cycling career as a professional world tour bike racer. Now, he is crushing it in the world of gravel and as a professional bike rider. Laura began as a competitive swimmer and her athletic career as a professional triathlete, now also crushing it in the world of gravel and as a professional bike rider. Ted has been an incredible advocate for the world of gravel cycling, and Laura has been instrumental in getting more women on bikes and gravel. This dynamic duo are also both entrepreneurs and parents to Hazel and Hazel. During our conversation, I get the scoop on the secrets to their success from racing and training, parenting, entrepreneurship, and how they do it all together as a family. We talk about how they both got into cycling, how they met, their many businesses and endeavors from Rooted Vermont, Untapped, Laura's Mill District, Healdsburg Venture, and her women's gravel clinic. And she also touches upon how she cycled through both her pregnancies as well as postpartum, and even how she went into labor with Hayden out on a ride. You are going to love this athletic power duo. P.S. Ted has an awesome podcast that I highly recommend you listen to called King of the Ride. Before we dive into my conversation with Ted and Laura King, shout out to our sponsors, Inside Tracker. 
Inside Tracker is the ultra personalized nutrition platform that analyzes your blood, DNA, and lifestyle to help you optimize your body from the inside out. It transforms your body's data into meaningful insights and a customized action plan of the science-backed nutrition recommendations you need to optimize your health. Get 20% off today at insidetracker.com slash Marnie on the Move. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review on Apple. It would be amazing and so helpful for the podcast. It's easy. Just head over to wherever you get your podcasts on Apple. Click on the podcast, Marnie on the Move. Scroll through all the way to the bottom of all the episodes. Click on the five stars and then in very tiny writing, it says write a review. Click on that button and tell us what you love about this podcast, about the episodes you listen to, and about the episodes you're listening to. Also, Spotify. If you're listening over here, click on the five stars. Now, on to my conversation with Laura and Ted. You guys are married. You're both professional athletes. At different times, you've been doing different sports. So I want to know how you met, how long you guys have been married, and what is the secret to your success of being able to train, work, and parent together successfully? That's a loaded question. <laughs> it's, it's a great question. I'll jump off and say we met we met in January of 2016 and I had raced 10 years as a professional road cyclist, um, retiring at the end of that, uh, previous year. So I rode up until the end of 2015. And then I sort of picked three places on a map that I thought I might end up. One of those being the Bay area, California and went out West to California. That's where I ended up initially. And, uh, so to answer the first part, we actually met at a, a mutual friend's birthday party who she ends up in the Bay Area. She's actually from Colorado, but she she always ends up back in San Francisco and has this, this really fun bakery ride birthday bash. Unintentional three Bs there. Um, and yeah, uh, I thought that was a, a fun way to meet a whole handful of people. I think it was probably right. 25 people and I knew two of them, the birthday girl and just one other friend. And uh, Laura was there and we... I think liked each other from the start. And so that is how we met. The name of the ride was sort of, I don't know, perfect. We met on a ride called King Ridge. So, and it's one of the most, I think, iconic and beautiful cycling routes in the country. So it's still a favorite to this day. And we get back there a lot and always have fun remembering the road where we met. <laughs> so, yeah, not to take too much time with the first question, but there was a lot there. So I answered how we met. I think it's a fun story. And I think a lot of people can relate, you know, I mean, a lot of people, you meet people doing what you love and you yeah. meet your partners that way. And like, you know, it's important to keep it going no matter where you end up. So I, I can speak from personal experience. I mean, so how long have you been married? We just celebrated what, two weeks ago, our fifth wedding anniversary. Nice. And it's gone by very quickly. I guess we've been a little busy in the last five years, have had two children. We have a two and a half year old and a almost six month old son, two and a half year old daughter. 
And then we're supposed, and then what? The secret to our success. Yeah, the secret to your success. And listen, it's all relative. <laughs> so, I mean, I think this is why I ask this because I think a lot of people are busy, right? They're working, they have kids, they have family. But like being athletes together, it's like when we first started talking, like you really need to work together. Uh, you, uh, as parents, as you know, married couple, everybody needs to work together. But you know, you really like extra need to work together to get in the training and, and make sure that everybody's happy, right? And doing what they love. So yeah, so what is the secret to that success? <laughs> My first response would be communication, which is to say, prior to meeting Laura, everything, I mean, that's when I was a professional cyclist, chapter 1.0. Yeah. before getting into the whole gravel world. And everything I did revolved around me. And so admittedly, very selfishly, mm -hmm. but it was it was to seek the most out of myself in order to race in the world tour. And so it was, I got to train when I wanted to, and I did however much riding I wanted to, and I got to eat, sleep, and end up wherever I wanted to for training camps and so on and so forth. And then all of a sudden, I have somebody else who is not only interested in being there doing a lot of these activities that I like to do, but she also wants and needs her time to be doing these things. So communication, you know, begins a week in advance, a day in advance, the evening before to be like, Hey, I mean, today's a great example. Yeah. We have this obligation now in the middle of the day. It's a beautiful day out. Who's going to go out first. Who's going to watch the kids first. Who's going to go out second. Who's going to be watching the kids second. Um, communication is where it all begins. And yeah, Laura. Well, I was going to say, by no means do we have this uh, totally nailed down or are we perfect at it. I'd say sometimes we really excel. In, and I think that's because we're both very organized planners. But I think the downside or downfall sometimes when you are organized in a planner and you are used to having a very full plate is our plate our both is that both of our plates are very full and sometimes sometimes something needs to come off or sometimes yeah. we need to um i think especially around our five-year anniversary we're just reflecting about we're finally home for a period of maybe eight weeks and we're we're relishing in slowing down and recognizing that we love a fast-paced lifestyle we love all the things that we're accomplishing and doing but there's so much value too in taking a rest and learning how to be better about like checking in with each other and really not just like accomplishing your to-do list but also making sure that we're healthy like inside and healthy relationally together and healthy um you know parents and being attentive parents so I think it's a formula that we're still trying to figure out but um taking the time to stop and actually like reflect on those things is helpful. <laughs> I think that is the secret to success is like consistently evolving, checking in communications, like all those things. So that's exciting. And so, and you have a six month old, a new baby. It's been a very eventful, uh, well, a year really for us. Um, yeah. Having a second child definitely added a lot to the plate. <laughs> Yeah, I can imagine. Like, were you working out and training throughout and leading up to your pregnancy? Because I think you did, right? Or was that the first one or both? Uh, yes. Um, I, I mean, 
exercise movement in general is incredibly therapeutic for me in so many ways. So, um, it was something that I felt very fortunate to be able to continue to do throughout both my pregnancies. And, you know, even in my second pregnancy, I think I took a lot of confidence from what I was able to do in the the first time around. So yeah, I I, I rode close to 7,000 miles during my second pregnancy, um, and went into labor, uh, on bike. Oh, wow. That's awesome. (laughs) That's amazing. That's so cool. I love that. I love hearing those stories. I I think, you know, I feel like with cycling, it's a, a lot less impact on your body that will not, maybe not gravel or MTB, but like, it's not as much impact on your body. So it feels a little bit better, but I don't, I can't imagine. You know, I think a lot of people initially are surprised. They don't, maybe they don't assume that cycling would be comfortable and it's not for everyone um, during pregnancy, but both um, during pregnancy and postpartum, you're right. It was something that was a little more gentle actually than even like, I feel like than even hiking, sometimes even more than walking. And for me, the saddle of a bike is almost like pelvic support. So it, it felt nice to take the weight off. It felt nice postpartum actually to have an, an exercise that was safe as everything is still healing and, right. and not getting like the bouncing and it's a little more gentle. So, um, yeah, in many ways, cycling was a perfect activity for me to be able to kind of maintain. Let's rewind to you started as a triathlete, but how did you get into triathlon or cycling? Like what led you into that career? I have always been drawn to endurance sports um, in in various capacities from swimming, swimming, competitive swimming led me to um, finding triathlon and I competed in triathlon mostly pretty seriously for about 12 years. And I began to, I qualified for my professional card and triathlon and really reflected on where, where I wanted to go in the sport and at that point was feeling a little burned out. Um, triathlon requires just a lot of time and energy put into it to compete at a high level. And I was also excelling in my career at the moment. So I actually started to feel a shift in my athletic goals and had at the same time moved to Northern California and discovered um, mountain biking and really kind of started to feel just this draw towards cycling. I think especially on the dirt because there was a sense of adventure that came along with it, a little bit less um, rigidity and structure. And I started to feel more playful as I was getting to still, you know, pursue goals and um, exercise to kind of the degree I like to, but I also felt like I was still, I was having a little more fun rather than I think triathlon can sometimes you can kind of get focused on, you know, the numbers and right. the details at least I did. So I found a real sense of just like joy again in cycling. And that is the start of kind of what led me to just focus more on the bike. Were you into road biking or just MTB and then you got into gravel? Yeah, I was into anything on two wheels. I always enjoyed, I actually enjoyed road biking more than the time trial bike. I really don't enjoy the time trial bike because I like the technical aspects of cycling. I like, I like being a little more challenged in the, whatever technical aspect might uh, arise. So I tried out Xterra 
um, triathlons and I just was dabbling in a little bit of everything. I tried out Leadville. I was, I was just enjoying, um, a, a new challenge. And I think that, uh, the mountain bike, you know, it, your endurance engine, but you also start to utilize a little more of, um, your head and your mental space of just like, and I enjoyed that new, that new challenge. It sounds like you like new challenges in general. That's your thing. Is that what you love about all the things that you do? Laughing in the background. I don't know. But yeah, I think that would, I think I would agree with that. Just a observation. I'm just laughing because (laughs) if anybody knows Laura, it's zero surprise that she wanted to labor on the bike, which, which answers a question you didn't ask me if short while ago, but yeah, she's just a, she's a, as my mom would say, she's a verb. She's just always moving. Yeah. I love that. And so Ted, how did you get into cycling? Like what was your foray into the sport? My, I have one sibling. I have an older brother who went off to a prep school as a freshman, um, you know, private high school in New Hampshire, and they happen to have a cycling team and he took to it really quickly. He was a prep school district champion and then he went off to college and he was he became a collegiate national champion three times over and it was at the first race which actually takes place about 20 miles south of us as we speak here in vermont um he was at colorado college the university of vermont hosted that year's national championship i happened to be at middlebury college just down the road from where that road race was held and i went out and watched a portion of it and didn't really care about the finish at the time but he won that race and i think the way younger brothers sort of gravitate towards older brothers sports uh i was just at a i was at a crossroads in my athletic career i was you know three sport varsity athlete through high school but those are all stick and ball sports um not really anything on the endurance side and i just i I wanted to continue to stay active in a new way and and I joke that I could probably be the recipient of a lot of hand-me-downs and I shared the, those athletic genes with my brother. So I took to it in college, um, which is relatively late in terms of getting to professional cycling and, right. and, and ultimately the world tour. I think that's a huge part of my success is that I never had any expectations. I wasn't a junior racer really firing for the world tour and thinking with these, you know, this laser focus, it was like, the balance of athletics and academics worked out really well for me and, and just opened up so many doors throughout my career. And did you immediately connect with Cannondale and you were, cause you were on their team, their UCI race team for 10 years. Yes. With a little caveat, okay. my first road bike, my first road bike, mountain bike and cyclocross bike were all completely coincidentally Cannondale. So that's a cool full arc, you know, yeah. full circle. Arc. Uh, I went off, you know, I raced for a handful of teams in, on the amateur level and then domestic pro, and then ultimately got to Europe. So my, my pro career was 10 years. I raced for five years with Cannondale and it, they were my final five years. And, and that just, it segued to this, you know, career 2.0 on gravel where I've exclusively been on Cannondale and it's been, it's been an awesome ride and, and, you know, the perfect partner, you know, there I am, there are very few Americans on the world tour, let alone New Englanders. Yeah. So cool story that there was like the sole New Englander racing in the world tour, racing for a New England based company that has, you know, strong world knowledge and yeah, it just worked out really well. You know, what is your favorite destination to race in all the places you've been around the world? My favorite race 
I mean, it's not, well, it's iconic in a lot of ways. I would say the Tour of Flanders, which is okay. in, it's in Belgium, which, you know, cycling is front page news in, in Belgium. And it, there's just something about the crowd and the atmosphere and the the knowledge and history of the race. It's not iconic in terms of, you know, a majestic landscape because right. it's largely pancake flat with what they call bergs, these short, steep climbs. Are there cobbles? Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's the mix of short cobbled climbs, narrow roads as wide as you know arm span. Uh, wow, it's just so so wild. And then I mean, I'd say a favorite place to train is the Dolomites in northern Italy. Just okay. spectacular scenery and and you know great cuisine and really fun part of the world. Like what got you into gravel? I mean, I I think total coincidence and timeliness. I. So I stepped away from the world tour in 2000 at the end of 15, as I, as I mentioned, and gravel, you wouldn't even say gravel in 2016, right? It was it wasn't a category. I stepped into the realm of, of ambassador. I mean, that's, that's the best word then. And quite frankly, still the best word today for what I do. Um, and Cannondale was that first contract on this privateer program that that allowed me the ability to say hey this is what i'm doing and that brought in enough other sponsors that it's been a uh, a cool ride since then it was doing events that were popping up uh that happened to be on gravel terrain <laughs> um i think a huge portion of it is just the technology which is to say wide tires tubeless tires disc brakes big gearing that made it so much more conducive i mean i I went, like I said, I went to college in Vermont. There are gravel roads everywhere. But when you're riding at that point, 19 millimeter tires, the last thing you're going to do is go seek out gravel roads. So, you know, whereas now these roads are, are surrounding us all over now here in Vermont. So I actually didn't really know that much about gravel. I mean, I kind of started cycling, you know, at a very young age, like four. And then I was doing MTB in Vermont. Uh, a little bit in my 20s when I wasn't afraid of anything and mm -hmm. I loved that and then I got into triathlon and cycling and road cycling and all those things flash forward like 30 years I went out on a gravel ride the other day Cannondale lent me a bike they lent me their Topstone. thank you yeah lefty saw. and it was awesome I loved it so it's great that there aren't any cars Laura, you are also sponsored by Cannondale. Did you connect with them through TED? Definitely. My relationship with Cannondale began alongside my relationship with TED. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just been cool to see what our kind of collective skill sets and personalities and um, love for the sport has kind of, what has blossomed out of that together. Mm -hmm. uh, I feel like, we've yeah it, it's only kind of heightened the things that we like to do in the sport and what is coming out of that whether it's like bringing community together or just helping to get more people into bikes so I think that's been a cool thing that's come out of our relationship and um but I think you nailed it with just the gravitational pull towards gravel is that yeah I think a lot of people are kind of scared about distracted drivers and how um that is impacting safety on the roads these days mm -hmm. and people are also craving the sense of adventure and you know gravel is a great way to just see the world we've traveled to so many places that i don't think we would have 
otherwise traveled to, whether it's Stillwater, Oklahoma, or Emporia, Kansas, people, you know, these small little towns that we're going where, yeah. um, you see such, you, you see a part of the world in a, through a different lens. Um, and we've really enjoyed that aspect of it, but also, yeah, gravel has been exceptional in how it has really brought community together in terms of like, it doesn't matter what your skill set is. It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter how you dress. Everybody's there to experience the same course together. And then however they might experience it, everybody gets to, you know, enjoy a party afterwards and drink a beer and relish in whatever the stories were of the day. And that that's just been something that's, you know, it's a, it's a sport that you can continue for many, many years to come. And so we're really enjoying it, whether it's in this season of life where we have a family or whether it's in the next season of life, um, it's it seems to be a, a good fit for all. And you are speaking of, you know, getting people into the sport of gravel and, you know, cycling, but gravel. You founded the Vermont-based gravel race, Rooted, together. So where did the idea to start a race begin and how is it evolving? Uh, I think the idea began while we were still living in California. So I ended up there for, I honestly forget, almost two years in California. And then I've convinced Laura that New England and Vermont would be a great place to end up. Um, from California? From California. That must have which... been some serious convincing. because <laughs> The campaign started early. I yeah, said Vermont. I'm sure. We have no future in California. The place is too expensive and we have no family here. So let's get out of town. Yeah. Um, I kid, but th there's some truth to that. Wait, Laura, so, where are you from? Sorry, Ted. Originally, I grew up in Seattle and then moved to the Bay Area and was there just over seven years and thought it would be a place I would stay forever because, um, you know, for those who like, for those who like cycling, it's, it's truly a playground. It's, it's quite magical. Yeah. Okay. So back to Ted and how he convinced you to move from this great area to upstate Vermont, which also is, is, is a great area to not upstate Vermont, Vermont period. Vermont yeah. period. All of Vermont is upstate. Yeah. I mean, we were in California and a lot of people were saying, Hey, when are you going to create an event? And it was, it was at the early days of gravel beginning to really take off and events sort of picking up in every place. And it just didn't, it didn't feel authentic it didn't feel like a place that we we were really grounded and and so it made a heck of a lot of sense as soon as we got to vermont and it was the sense of community here it's the sense of uh community both in the cycling world and then you know our friends our neighbors uh our town yeah vermont is a great place to ride there i mean there's so many different areas but i could see it making sense it's remarkable i mean people are not to say people don't wave in California, but you're going to get a wave a heck of a lot more readily here riding down the road. And and so just that sense of being welcome here is something that we loved. And it's it's why we use the word rooted. Like we felt very rooted this in this community. Yeah, so that we founded Rooted Vermont in 2019 and sold out immediately. Um, and the race... Sold out meaning hitting the cap of how yes. many people how many, we... What was your cap like? It, it filled time. up right away. Uh, we had a cap of 500 the first year. Wow, that's amazing. And then grew, grew to just over 1,000, or registered just over 1,000 um, in our, what was 
round, our third year this year would have been our fourth year because of COVID. And yeah, I think we accomplished a lot of things that we're really proud of. We had 50% female participation on our start line, the first gravel event to, uh, to be able to have that statistic. And I think we really accomplished having a real balance of both a professional high caliber race that attracts some of the top talent and also a very, a, a ride that is for the people and has a true amazing party um, at the finish line that is some of the best food that you'll ever have at a any kind of athletic event, we think. When is it? What's the date? Well, it has traditionally been the last weekend of July of every year, but your question, how is it evolving, is a very important one because we actually decided to press pause for the next edition of Rooted and and are really not unsure of what the future will bring. And a, you know, a big part of that, as you asked earlier about just like our life and how we do it. And I think one of the things we've really reflected on is it's really hard as two people who are constantly wanting to push further, do more, add more to our plate. It's really hard to ever take something off of your plate. And especially something that has been so wildly successful that a lot of people probably can't understand why we decided to make the decision that we did. But, you know, being now, now that we've, we have made this decision to press pause and announced it and are about a month past, I'm just, I'm really grateful that we were, we were able to make that hard decision. And we made it for a number of different reasons. Um, not just the fact that our plates are very full. Um, I think, Gravel is changing and it's becoming hyper-competitive and we live in a rural area, but ever since the pandemic, Vermont is a really, is a place that a lot of people are wanting to move and our traffic is increasing and our, we're just, we took a long reflective kind of look at what the longevity of our venue is and the roads here and the safety of the riders and kind of, you know, how we are able to shoulder what that risk is. And for us personally, it was it was looking more unsettling and something that we weren't totally comfortable with. Would you say that's a fair? Yeah, that that's assessment? all accurate. We have uh, another co-event promoter, our dear friend Kristen Motley, and she has a young family also. And uh, I mean, echoing the same things, it's it, there's a lot on all of our plates. Uh, we are both parents of young families, and. Uh, making sure to put a present on that. I mean, as much as event <laughs> event management looks very simple and then you yeah. realize that nonstop 24 seven. I mean, it's a big deal though. And it's great. So congrats to be able to come to that place where you can say like, look, this just isn't working and we need to rethink it. Can I still come ride gravel with you guys? <laughs> Yes, you may. As much as we are still on the rise and we still see more and more events coming to a event calendar. Yeah. I'm really proud of the decision to say we've had remarkably successful events, but we're we're happy being finding the, an endpoint and a lot of event promoters reached out and said, "My gosh, like it hasn't even occurred to us to say enough is enough." So I think I think it'll be a, a not too distant future that we're going to see a lot of events actually come off a calendar and yeah. do exactly what we're doing. It's 
love for sure. <laughs> Laura, you have a cycling club that you run out of the mill district in Seelsburg. Are you still doing that? I mean, you guys are both serial entrepreneurs. I mean, this isn't your only business. You have the maple syrup company on tapped. You've got the mill district velo club. So, you know, what are you still doing the velo club? Yes. Uh, yes. We have a lot of spinning plates in the air. <laughs> mill district is a really unique project. It is in Healdsburg, California, which is Sonoma County, um, which is also the area where we met riding bikes. So it's an area pretty special to us. It is world-class road cycling. And it obviously also incorporates, there's a food and wine take a high priority in those towns. Um, it's a big part of the tourism for the area. And it's a big part of what we enjoy about riding a bike is also pairing it with good food and wine and community. So it's a kind of perfect amalgamation of all the things that we enjoy um, about riding a bike. And actually we're both involved in the project. I am more involved in the day-to-day -day planning and um, logistical challenges and organization behind everything that we do there. But Ted was the first one to get involved. And really it's this real estate development project that um, the company Replay Destinations was formerly involved in um, ski tourism. So they owned and operated ski uh, Whistler, Whistler Blackcomb and they, they were able to involve play in their real estate property. So when they acquired this property in Healdsburg, they really felt like, um, wouldn't it be cool if we could somehow integrate cycling because it's such a Mecca, this area is such a Mecca for cycling. And so it is a real estate development project that is still currently underway. It's a very long project over 10 years. So um, there will eventually be 200 luxury residences, some um, commercial space, and through the kind of ribbon of culture they're hoping to weave through it all is with cycling, that cycling brings an energy about, you know, energy to a development, a healthy kind of healthy lifestyle energy it also is a great way um, of just showcasing what is to come. So it's a good way to we bring folks in and treat them to an amazing day of cycling, followed by a, a Michelin-starred chef meal paired with, you know, a local vintner who comes and um, showcases their wines. And we really just say, welcome to Healdsburg. I love Healdsburg. It's like my favorite place when I was in Sonoma. So it's a really great way to just... Yeah. Yeah, say, hey, this is what Healdsburg is all about. It speaks for itself. There's no um, sales pitch involved. We truly also are just really looking to establish the Mill District as a hub for Sonoma County cycling um, that we don't, that we feel like doesn't yet really exist and, and is a perfect place for such a community to exist. So whether you're beginning or ending a ride at the Mill District or whether you're coming for a group ride, um, it's it's kind of the the perfect location for such a is it somewhere where people who are cyclists could buy a house and live yes yes they're hoping to at the end of the day sell real estate but chances are the majority of people who actually end up buying real estate may not be cyclists right. but cycling is able to you know by word of mouth spread the news about what is happening and what is being built and whether it's attracts buyers that way that's great but also the homeowners 
which the units are already underway being sold. The homeowners like, even if they don't ride bikes, they like just the aspect of, you know, healthy living and they like that this cycling culture that exists. So whether you're a homeowner or not, we hope to have a gathering space for cycling community, um, regardless of whether you, you know, you live in the mill district or not. Will you go down there and lead rides? Like when do you, when do you typically do that? Yeah, we spend time seasonal in Hillsburg in the spring and the fall. Um, I believe we'll be in Hillsburg for most of the spring, uh, March, April, and May, which is a wonderful time to be in that area. The weather is so idyllic and it's also not a bad time to get out of Vermont as soon as, you know, peak winter is over and stick season and mud season ensue. So why we enjoy also just getting back home and our, I guess our, our old home and seeing some of our community that still is present there. And are you also still leading gravel clinics for women and where? Uh, good question. So we've had an annual women's gravel clinic that has been wildly successful. That's been in tandem with rooted Vermont and has been a real, a part of the formula to getting to 50% uh, women's participation on our, our start line. That's something that I personally care a lot about, um, and have been personally invested in, um, because we decided to press pause for this year. We haven't decided the date of the next women's clinic. I know that there will be more women's clinic clinics, and I would like to hold both posts in in the future, but don't have a formalized date for that yet. Okay. Well, I mean, you guys both have websites, and people can go to your websites, and I'll put it in the show notes to stay in touch. And everyone's on Instagram, so I mean, if you know, I know a lot of my listeners are in the Bay Area also, and on the West Coast, so. And Ted, you also have another company, Untapped, which is like all these triathletes, well, the pros have been talking about, certain pros have been talking about maple syrup. So tell me about Untapped and your this company that you started. Yeah, we're, if you've heard of maple syrup in sports nutrition, we're the first company to have done that. Yep. Um, it was 2014 that we were founded and and had the product in hand. There's the 10,000 hour rule, which is you know the the unwritten rule of time that it takes to gain proficiency. And I say I have the 10,000 too many gel rule, yeah. where through through a career of endurance sports, I had gel after gel after gel, and my my taste for it eventually completely went away. So that I was appalled every time that I had to have a gel, and you yeah. know you just soak it down. It's not appealing. Yeah. All this this unwritten rule in your head, okay, I must eat a gel, whatever, you know, every half hour in, in endurance sports. So around the same time, I was also as this New Englander on the world tour, I would literally be gifted various size pints, little glasses, novelty glasses of maple syrup when I would step off a team bus in in Europe at these races, because I was known as the New Englander who had an affinity for maple syrup. And I brought uh those those bottles back to my apartment when i was living in spain and i would take a nip of maple syrup before a ride or i would uh you know finish a ride and and take a little sip or i would put it in my water bottle and then it was sort of a light bulb moment it's like well why am i taking this gel that i can't stand and maple syrup is presumably a sugar as well and it tastes delicious um a little bit of basic googling revealed that maple syrup is loaded with all sorts of nutrients 
electrolytes, amino acids, antioxidants. It doesn't need to be adulterated with flavors and and right. and so you know that was that was the first light bulb moment. The next one was how the heck do I put it into a maple syrup packet? My bandwidth is pretty much taxed at that point as I'm raising my bike all over the world. And so it was in partnering with uh, this family called the Cochrans, who, if you know anything about skiing, especially in Vermont, the Cochrans are historic. They have an Olympic gold from 50 years ago uh, that that Barbara Ann won. Their Barbara Ann's son won Olympic silver, uh, the most recent Olympics. The the point is they're, they're athletes, they're skiers, and I partnered with four cousins, the Cochrane cousins, um, who all either skied on the national team or Olympics or whatever it is. And they had started a maple syrup operation on their family ski hill called Cochrane Ski Area. It was that connection of of an athlete talking to an athlete about maple syrup. Hey, we can do more than just pancakes and oatmeal. So I have tremendous partners in uh, Doug and Roger Brown, who are Cochrane's. Their mother just has a different name by marriage. And yeah, I mean, we have a, a tremendous company. Untap.cc is the is the website. We've a bunch of derivations of that original maple syrup, but you know, we the ethos is everything very very simple. We wanted a caffeinated, so we put coffee into maple syrup. We have six Stroop waffles. We're the only Stroop waffle that's sweetened exclusively with maple syrup. Two drink mixes and four energy packs, all founded on. Yeah, it takes ten years for people to be like, "Oh my god, this is such a good idea." That's how long it really takes, you know, for a brand to evolve, to grow to a place where somebody can like discover it and think it's new. And meanwhile, you're doing all the work all along the way. <laughs> Funny, but very, very true. Yeah, we just celebrated our eighth anniversary of having the product in hand. So I'll have to try it because I'm so over gels. When I did Olympic distance triathlon, I used honey, but it was it's not enough. The natural stuff is the best stuff. It's just like getting enough of it. It's different on gravel fueling and all that stuff, right? I mean, nutrition, but uh, it isn't. It isn't. I mean, you're you, you're keeping your body in motion. So, I mean, I think endurance exercise isn't an endurance exercise. We have a lot of athletes in the obstacle course race world. I mean, just the timing is right for natural foods. I mean, people pay attention to the foods they're eating, and you know, I say you'd rather eat a nice bowl of pasta instead of a can of Chef Boyardee, with right. all respect, Chef Boyardee. Uh, so, yeah, keep it simple. Uh, it's worked really, really well for me. It's worked for, we hear from so many athletes who reach out saying, oh my gosh, like what I will guarantee is you will not have a stomach issue. But you hear hopefully after athletes eat gel after gel after gel, it just sort of like eats away. And yeah, it's, it's simple, it works, it's delicious, and it's really fun to live in Vermont and say, so yes, there's a triathlete, Lionel Sanders, that's using maple syrup. Oh, that's right. His agent reached out to us. Laura, do you also use do you also use that for nutrition and on the bike? Absolutely. Funny enough, I worked in the sports nutrition world for about 10 years prior to meeting Ted. So I've sampled it all and I have used the synthetic options and I've used the natural options and I have found that maple syrup works very well for me. And I love especially the iterations of the flavored fuel packets. So there's like a sea salt raspberry. Oh, I love that. I'm and it's all yeah. sea salt, raspberries and maple syrup. And it's so delicious. So those are the things I, I crave those kind of flavors on the bike. And nice to know that nothing artificial in them. 
and then speaking of cycling and kids, right? Because we started this conversation talking about how you guys have two kids, one who is six months old, definitely not on a bike. But I did see on Instagram that your two and a half year old, she is, you've got her on the bike. So I don't know how, how we yeah, cycling. 7,000 miles already. <laughs> how, uh, like, how is that going? It's going great. I mean, I have no desire to make a professional cyclist out of either of our my children, our children. Well, the um, Tour de France is really growing, so I don't know. Tour exactly. de France um, <laughs> I honored if if she got into cycling, and I would be more than happy if she doesn't. I mean, yeah. you know, we're playing a game of bouncy ball catch uh, in the She's living adorable. room. Yeah, She's, she loves it. I mean, it's 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 an age that I want our kids to be uh, excited about any kind of physical activity. I think that's really important to, to wellness and health overall. Um, but, you know, I mean, whether she gets into sports or not, is totally not. Yeah. You can't, you can't even act like it's remotely of any interest <laughs> at right. all. Yeah, it's also funny because I'm sure at some point in probably 10 years, she'll probably have zero interest in doing the sport that oh, we yeah, do. Oh, yeah, totally. You guys do it all, right? You've got entrepreneurship. You're like this couple who are doing all the regular cycling, racing, training, all those things together. And then you've got kids. So we kind of st also started off the conversation with like, how do you do that? What are a few things that you set yourself up for for success? So obviously communication and planning how does this stuff help you with like parenting and, and bringing that level of passion that you have for entrepreneurship and cycling and triathlon and all the sports that you do? How does that help you be better parents? I think especially in this phase of my life and my career, it's, it's almost mandatory to be an entrepreneur. I mean, yeah. when I first started in this privateer world in 2016, there was no blueprint um i mean i was writing it on the spot and now it's funny because a lot of folks are doing this thing this sort of post professional road cycling into gravel or people going directly into gravel and having you naturally need to be entrepreneurial in order to pull that off in addition to being an athlete but i balance that with the the work i do with untapped of which is minuscule because we have a great team and my time is is limited i do a bit of coaching we ran on uh, rooted Vermont for a while. It's it's like I love cycling, and that is the root of what gets me up and out the door every day. And and not to go in a, in a derivation too far, but you know, so I've I've thought about what would happen if cycling were taken away, and and that's not a conversation that I really want to have. So all of these things allow me to perpetuate riding a bike. You know, I mean, as long as I can keep doing what I'm doing, it's 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 it creates perpetuity cycling in general professional sports in general are so strange because you're you're you are striving towards an end point that is going to arrive so much sooner than any other retirement yeah you know, traditional it's a short it's a span yeah 60 65 years old and this it's like yeah right if you get half that age by the time you retire you need to really figure out what's next so yeah i'm just curious is it like similar to pro cycling or pro triathlon like do you need a pro card to compete in gravel no it's not there yet right like the sport is so young because i see like all these different pros from different sports coming to gravel to compete mm -hmm. 
So my yeah. question is, yeah, what is, what's going on there, like with gravel and like the rules and the pros? Yeah. That's what's cool about it is it is it's always been a very welcoming place. Yeah. And so if you are competitive or not competitive, like show up and just do this mass start thing. Gravel's reaching sort of a, a some sort of tipping point and it needs yeah. to put to through these rules. But that's mm -hmm. still the equally cool part is pros are welcome non-professionals are welcome and whoever's going to win the race on the day it doesn't matter right right i mean that's that's what's really neat uh I mean, you've even hesitated to call yourself a professional cyclist anymore because in your mind you retired in 2016 and didn't necessarily know that this path towards gravel would eventually get more and more competitive and yes essentially you still compete as a professional athlete but it's just been a whole different kind of circuitous path back to it that you didn't anticipate. Is that correct? Accurate. Yeah. <laughs> and Laura, what about you? I mean, where are you? Where do you stand? I know. I know you just had a baby. I know this is like the last thing on your mind, right? But and you also have a young. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's very. I mean, it's very. It's a very similar answer because what is being a professional in gravel? Um, that's still a pretty gray area. Yeah. Is it if you're paid to ride a bike? Well, then, yes, I suppose you could say I'm a professional. Is it, I, I mean, like there is no professional card. So, do I, when I line up at a start line, am I there to compete at an elite level? Yes. Yeah. Uh, but am I doing it as my sole job? Are either of us doing it as our sole job? Not even close. And many yeah. people are. So, that's sort of a, it's it's a we're not always exactly sure how to define it is what we're doing and what we're doing when we line up at a race we love to race bikes and we love to be at the fast end of uh of things but we also i mean i turn 40 at the end of this week and turns 40 next month <laughs> we're we're at a point where we're also you know I don't know, diversifying our lives and thinking about what is to come and care about the sport as a whole and care about growing it in other ways and don't necessarily only care about um, our own performance as the sole kind of um, thing that we're focused on. So I think we're just figuring out how to try to find what that balance still is and enjoy being able to be competitive, but enjoy also, I don't know, Ted, you, you enjoy now drinking a beer, whereas you were, where you didn't get to enjoy that in your competitive years racing in Europe. So travel's a little different in that regard as it yeah. started out a lot more relaxed. Um, and, and who knows if it's going to re remain that way. It's only getting more and more competitive, but, um, it's interesting to see how the sport is evolving and they do have good like decent prize purses for people who are there as a career, but it's also, you know, nice to go with a different goal. What are you binging right now in terms of shows? Do you guys watch TV? Do you have any time? So in general, we don't watch a lot of television. We feel like okay. we don't have the time. I think since having kids, we probably watched way, way less than the already not a lot. Yeah. Uh, what did you ask me last night? I forget. You said, you I got a text. I was oh, like, yeah. upstairs tucking the kids into bed and Ted texted me, can we, can we watch it? What do you think? Do you want to watch your show? Which is where we're hooked on the show billions, which I think was a show that was popular a few years ago, but we're just 
getting episodes are still coming. Up. Yeah, right. we're ca- we're catching up. We're on to it. But my response back was, "No, I'm not. I'm still within that six month window of being anxious about getting enough sleep each night, yeah. and I never knowing how the night is going to go. And so I put the kids to bed, or we put the kids to bed, and." My first thought is Bad. maximizing yeah. my sleep starts now. <laughs> yeah. Seven thirty, so she could still theoretically go to bed by eight thirty. Yeah. But that's not news to me. Yeah. We yeah. watch the show all the time. I'm watching Yellowstone, which I love. So good. Uh, I love that. In the tra- in the winter, you will watch shows on the trainer. Yeah, I watch everything on the trainer. That's kind of, I mean, I'm also kind of tuned in to Zwift, but I'm on the trainer watching, like I have two screens. Oh, yeah. it's just a series of distractions, but yeah. podcasts too. And Zwift and, Do you listen uh, to uh, cycling podcasts or podcasts in general? Yeah. Uh, we both listen to a bunch. I think that's the main kind of like thing we consume nowadays is podcasts. Stuff You Should Know podcasts, yeah. Radio Lab, Social Distance. Listen to Payson McKelvin's This American Life, The Real Science of Sport. Real Science of Sport is a good one. Oh, I got a really good one. 60 songs that explain the 90s. I really oh, enjoyed Really? So you guys really. love music too. Yeah. Well, and I'm like, I'm <clears throat> I feel like a musical Luddite. Maybe that's not the right term, but like I I'm so bad with lyrics, song titles, uh uh artists. Yeah. But that's what's great about this, you know, as as a product of the 90s, I grew up in 1983, so, like, I listened to music in the 90s. It, it just hits on so many songs that you certainly know. I don't know yeah. the name of them, I don't know them, but it's an hour-long, just beautifully written essay about the song. It, it's hilarious. Cool. That check sounds like something I would like. I'm going to check it out. I listen to a lot of podcasts as well. I try to listen to things that, like, aren't really anything I would consume any other way, so... I mean, I listen to, I love Andrew Huberman. I'm really into science and just like biohacking. So I listen to that podcast. Yeah. What's your next, next event or race? The coast ride is something we've done each of the past seven years, which is this really cool. Actually, it has its background in triathlon. It started probably 30, 40 years ago as a bunch of triathletes who put backpacks on and rode from San Francisco to LA. Okay. And. That's basically what it is. Uh, you, In January. Yeah. It's become our annual trip to California. Oh, that's cool. But now that we've done it, what, a handful of times, we've started to have a group of friends that have become kind of regulars that we put together our own little iteration of it. And um, this year, we're every year, we've been kind of altering the roots a bit to make it a little more interesting or harder than the last. So we have a little bit longer rendition on tap for this January. And it's quite a, I mean, just an example of what our life looks like now. So in order to do something like this, where we're um, riding our bikes for what, eight or nine days straight, uh, we have to fly, one of us flies with both the kids solo to Seattle, to grandma's house to drop them off. Flies to California, we meet in California. The other one flies back to Seattle to pick them up. I'll hang out with my family for a little bit there and then fly solo with them back to Vermont. So it's quite a endeavor now to do kind of longer trips like this, but um, it's worth it. You know, however, however you can make it work, it is yeah. totally worth it. I'm lucky to have somebody that will 
watch them for us while we're while we're gone. I'm sure they love it too. I mean, come on, grandparents love that stuff. And so, how many miles do you ride a day on that? Uh, call it probably one ten per day miles. What's the elevation overall? Yeah, it's different every year, but we're averaging what six to nine, six to ten thousand feet elevation gain per day, depending on. That's so uh, awesome on the road. Or do you? Yeah. yeah. Well, we had a little bit of dirt, but mostly on the road. And you ride your uh, road bike? Yeah, we do. What gravel bikes do you both ride uh, from Cannondale? Which ones? Uh, we have a whole fleet. Okay. What's your? Do you have a favorite? Or maybe, I know that's hard. You have to pick a favorite um, child. <laughs> no, I mean, both of our favorite bikes is Cannondale Super 6 Evo SE, which is there. It's a bike designed a little bit more for racing. It's this this perfect hybrid of a road bike and the previous edition of a gravel bike. So it's aero, it's fast, it's light. Um, I have a Topstone Lefty. I love that bike. So it's the adventure wagon. Um, Laura, if Laura's going to go do an adventure, she's either on a mountain bike or, uh, I mean, the bike, the Super 6 Evo SE is still super capable. So you ride that too. Yeah, an example would be we just took a two-month-long um, van trip across the country, and what's the one bike we bring? Well, we brought a mountain bike, and then the one other bike we bring is is the Super 6 Evo SE because you can just put road tires on, and you feel like yeah. you're on a road, and you can put gravel tires on, and you're most capable to go anywhere. So it's a do-it-all machine. That's cool. Good to know. Well, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast. Sounds good. Thank you, Marnie. Perfect. Thanks again for tuning in to Marnie on the Move. If you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social at Marnie on the Move for Facebook and Instagram and Marnie Salop on Twitter. Head over to our website, MarnieOnTheMove.com for more info on this episode, links in the show notes, and of course, sign up for our quarterly newsletter, The Download to get updates, deals, giveaways, and information on future events for 2019. I want to hear from you. Email me, marnieonthemove1 at gmail.com. And let me know what you're enjoying, 